0: Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball.
1: This is
0: extra innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle Sports
1: goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's
0: box in the top of the tent right now. Welcome back into Extra Innings. As we do each off day, we take a look at the Mariners' next opponent. And next on the schedule, the St. Louis Cardinals come to town and joining us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. It's John Denton who covers the Cardinals for cardinals.com and mlb.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Denton 555 And John, really appreciate you joining us. How's it going?
2: Oh, it's going great. Thanks. Uh looking forward to getting out to Seattle. Uh should should be a fun series this weekend.
0: Yeah, Cardinals coming to Seattle. It it's something that doesn't often happen and we're going to see more of this over the years as Major League Baseball has changed the schedule format. You've got less divisional games, more interleague games, more games against teams that are not in your division. How do the Cardinals feel about Major League Baseball's new schedule format? Because here in Seattle, you're trading games against bad teams like the A's for for more good teams like the Cardinals, who haven't got off to the best start this season, but they have a lot of talent. How do the Cardinals feel about it? Because St. Louis is in a division, too, with a lot of teams that are either rebuilding or just kind of mailing it in this season.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you know, in in the past, the Cardinals could kind of fatten up on their division. Uh, The Cubs the pirates the the Reds have all been in rebuild mode for forever uh you know in the past, you were playing nineteen games against each one of those teams. You could really fatten up you know last year, the Cardinals dominated their division and they had like a five hundred record outside the division, so you know they could always kind of fall back on that, but now you know instead of nineteen games against each division foe, you only play thirteen, so not as you know you you don't get to beat up on the Reds and the pirates as much. Uh, now and you know now you got to go play playoff teams like like the Mariners. I mean the Cardinals opened the season with Toronto, another playoff team from last year. Uh, the Cardinals actually took two out of three of that. But you know it, it, this is the way it should be. You know I I covered the NBA uh, for a long time before I uh, moved over to baseball, and you know you could count on every star was going to come to your building every year. Well, in baseball now every star Julio Rodriguez is going to play in St. Louis every other year now. So. You know, that's the way it should be. You know, fans, uh, you know, if you're going to market the game, you need to be able to see all the stars. You need Shohei Otani and Mike Trout and Judeo Rodriguez to come to your ballpark every couple of years because – you know that that lets you see the best players in baseball.
0: Yeah, I think it's a very fair trade off. Uh, you know, here in Seattle, we don't often get to see Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado or any of those guys, and so for them to be able to come to Seattle, I think that's going to be a really cool treat for fans this weekend at T-Mobile Park. Uh, John, you mentioned uh, the Cardinals, or you mentioned Julio Rodriguez there, uh, a, phen- a phenomenal rookie season he had a year ago. The Cardinals have a big time prospect up on their roster this season, Jordan Walker, who I believe was like number three in MLB's pipeline rankings before the season. Uh, how has his start to the season been going? Because I know there was a lot of fanfare uh, surrounding his call up to the big leagues.
2: Yeah, you know this this kid has uh, been incredible. Uh, you know he opened his career with a you know first 12 games of his career. He had a 12 game hitting streak. Uh, he's doing it at 20 years old. It was the first time in 111 years that a 20 year old kid opened his career with uh, with a 12 game hitting streak. Uh, you know Jordan Walker. It it almost seems like he was created in a lab somewhere. I'm sure you know Seattle fans feel the same way about Julio Rodriguez, but. Jordan Walker's father went to MIT. His mother went to Harvard. Uh, They have like four master's degrees between them. Uh, Jordan's 6'6", 245. He's built like an NFL tight end. He runs like a wide receiver. He hits like Albert Pujols. Uh, You know, he had the 12-game hitting streak. Then he kind of went through a lull and had a work day the day before. And then yesterday he comes out and hits the ball 105 off the bat. And then he goes 110 off the bat, a couple RBI singles. He's it, like I said, it, it's like a Hollywood script. Uh, the kid's too good to be true. He's 20 years old. He has the maturity of a, of a 35 year old. Uh, you know, I, the Cardinals really believe he's their future. He's going to be their right fielder for the next 10, 12 years.
0: John Denton of Cardinals.com joining us here on Extra Innings. And John, St. Louis has a lot of familiar names on their roster. Like we mentioned, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, uh, you know, in the rotation, Adam Wainwright, Jack Flaherty. But they're off to a slow start this season. Why do you think that is?
2: You know, it's been weird. They they've been in the top top five, top ten, and batting average, OPS, on base percentage, but they're at the bottom and 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 hitting with runners in scoring position. And, you know, I think they were 27th in, in, in hitting with uh, the bases loaded. They've, they've been terrible with the bases loaded. They were two for 17 at one point. Uh, they're just not driving in runs. They're getting runners on left and right. Uh, you know, yesterday they hung a big number on the Diamondbacks. And, you know, when they hit with runners in scoring positions, they're going to score a lot of runs. They have maybe their deepest lineup since 2004. Uh, they've got hitters all over the lineup. Uh, Nolan Gorman was a, a hot rookie last year, had a had a bad finish to his rookie year, but he's come back. You know, he's top five in, in most categories in the National League. Tommy Edmund had a big day yesterday, almost hit for the cycle. Uh, you know, and like you said, the heart of the order. Anytime you can throw Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you know, Nolan Arenado, and Wilson Gutierrez in the middle of the lineup, it's going to be a good lineup. And, you know, fortunately for them this year, they have good hitting at the top and at the bottom, and, uh, once they start driving in runs with, with runners in scoring position, they're gonna they're gonna put a lot of crooked numbers on the scoreboard.
0: John, when I say the name Nolan, we all kind of assume we're talking about Arenado when it comes to the Cardinals, but another guy named Nolan has been the best bat in the Cardinals lineup. You mentioned him, Nolan Gorman, off to an incredible start here in year number two. Has his start to this season kind of changed expectations for him? I know you mentioned the end of his rookie season didn't go quite as as planned, but now we're seeing him really take off. He's got an OPS over a thousand. What are expectations for him now that he's gotten off to this great start?
2: Yeah, you know, if it wasn't for Jordan Walker, uh, Nolan Gorman would have been the story of training camp. Like, he really poured himself. He, he he came up. He didn't make the opening day roster last year because he kind of struggled. He was making a, a position change from third to second. Uh, he started the year in the minor leagues. He hit 15 home runs in the first, like, six weeks of minor league season. They brought him up. He hit a lot of home runs. But then pitchers realized, hey, we can get this guy out with high fastballs. We can get him out with stuff elevated. And he had a horrendous final six weeks of his rookie season. Well, to his credit, he went to work on his game. He changed his swing. Uh, he learned how to hit the high fastball. He learned how to lay off the high fastball, how to foul it off and wait for another pitch. And, you know, he's a completely different hitter this year. Like you said, he's been their best hitter so far. It's it's a carryover from a, from a really good spring. And, you know, he, here's a guy who, he was a high school All-American. He was the best player on every team he's ever been on. He's been a success at every level he's ever been at. Uh, you know, and, and he gets to the major leagues and he realized, Hey, I thought I was ready, but I'm not ready. Uh, he, he came back this year really ready. And, you know, like I said, he they, they've got a really good heart of the order, but when you can come with Nolan Gorman, uh, top five in, in the National League at OPS, batting six or seventh, that tells you a little bit about the, the potency of this, of this lineup.
0: John Denton of cardinals.com here with us uh, for just a couple more moments on air, on extra innings and, and John, a name that Mariners fans uh, on that Cardinals roster keep a close eye on is a former top prospect with the Mariners, Tyler O'Neill and earlier this season he had a very public disagreement with manager Ollie Marmol uh, in the season's first week. It, it kind of stemmed from o- O'Neill's perceived lack of hustle, at least that's how Marmol saw it. Uh, has that situation resolved itself? How have they been able to move forward?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's calmed down now. Uh, it was a, a hot-button issue, no doubt about it, for a week or so. And, you know, uh, it, to Tyler O'Neill's defense, I think he thought he was going to be held up at third base. Uh, you know, they were down three at the time. It was a hard-hit ball to right field. Uh, probably the best throwing arm in baseball, Ronald Acuna, had the ball. So Tyler thought he was going to be held up at third. Everything said hold him up at third. But he got the, you know, he got the go sign, and he – uh you know, he, he was able to, uh, you know, they, he took off late. He was out by three or four steps. It was a terrible sin. He never should have been sent home. But, you know, Oliver all took issue with it. And, and you know, later on it kind of came out after after it died down. It wasn't so much about that moment. They just want Tyler O'Neill to know that, you know, you've got to run hard. you got to play hard regardless. Uh, they were giving him an audition early in the season. Tyler wanted to try to play center field. He's won two gold gloves in left field. He wanted to try to become a center fielder. So they tried to, you know, get the point across to him. Hey, you're getting this wonderful opportunity. We expect you to run hard. We expect you to play hard on everything. Not just, not just when you're trying to score from second to home, play hard all the time. And it was about a, you know, that moment got a lot of focus, but really it was about a whole, a bigger subject of always play hard. And, you know, Tyler's, Tyler's not a guy who dogs it. Tyler's the guy who plays hard. And, you know, when he gets a hold of a ball, I mean, he can hit the ball as far as anybody on this roster. He hit a ball 480 in in Colorado a couple weeks ago. So, you know, uh, know, I'm sure Mariner fans have kept up with him because he was a, you know, a former Mariner uh, farmhand.
0: Yeah, they definitely have, uh, you know, it, it, the trade a few years after the fact, you know, they got Marco Gonzalez in it, so I don't think the Mariners can be mad at the returns that they got for it. But, uh, you know, it, it is so, it is a guy that a lot of people kind of follow here uh, with one eye on. And, I mean, he was, he's was he got a pretty cool personality. He's a funny guy uh, cool. if, if you catch him on the right time. Uh, so it's good to see him have success in St. Louis, and that situation was very interesting just based off of kind of like what we we've no come to know about Tyler O'Neill is that he's not necessarily a guy that's going to you know dog it like you said, but uh, just a very odd situation to start the season for the Cardinals. Um, but John, really appreciate your insight on this Cardinals team. Uh, he is John Denton of cardinals.com You can follow him on Twitter at John Denton five five five. And uh, John, safe travels to you as you make your way up to Seattle this weekend and uh, have a great time covering the series. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care. I'm sure you've heard the name Perry Hill when it comes to Mariners' infield work and the reclamations that he's done over the years with certain Mariners in their fielding. Well, who is Perry Hill? He joined the dugout on Tuesday with Michael Bumpus and Stacey Rost, and they got to the bottom of just who Perry Hill is and and how he's able to work his magic with some of the Mariners' best fielders. That's coming your way next here on Extra Innings. Don't go anywhere. This is Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings. Inside the Mariners. (laughs) On the home of the Mariners. Seattle Sports. Let me just tell you, if you haven't made the dugout on Tuesdays, from one to two PM, some destination listening. If you're a Mariners fan, I suggest doing so. Every Tuesday with Bump and Stacy, a Mariners coach, a Mariners broadcaster, and Mariners insider Shannon Dreher, they all join for a an hour of all Mariners talk every Tuesday from one to two. That happens throughout the course of the season. We've also got the Mariners Spotlight with Wyman and Bob. Three times a week, you will hear from one player uh, on this Mariners team. And also, you've got the Jerry DePoto show with Brock and Salk. You've got John Morosi on the station, Jeff Passon on the station. There's so much baseball coverage in addition to extra innings, in addition to the Mariners pre and post game show and the Mariners broadcast. Like, there is no better spot than right here at Seattle Sports throughout the course of your week if you're craving some Mariners coverage. And getting back to the dugout, which is every Tuesday from 1 to 2, Mariners infield coach Perry Hill stopped by bumping Stacy this week and discussed what his routine is like with a lot of these guys. Who is Who are some of the coaches that have inspired him along the way? And also, him being an old-school guy – what does he think about today's day and age of baseball where so many guys are showing emotion and playing with such passion and such uh you know outward expressions of joy and, and sadness and, and and intensity and all that. What does he make of all of that? Here's Barry Hill to to explain.
3: We're all human, right? We're all <laughs> right. we're all not built the same way. So, you know, I I like personality. I like guys with an edge. So, um, it really doesn't bother me.
4: Coach, um, I love it, man. You are the infield guru, man. Where where did you learn from? You know, everyone has has a teacher and, and, and has a person who taught them. Where did you learn um all, all the knowledge you have?
3: Well, first of all, thanks for the compliment, but I'm I'm far from a guru. I just, <laughs> I'm just like all the other coaches. I just try to do my job. Uh but I've had a lot of good influences over the years. Um, some names from the past that you may or may not recognize is Toby Hara, Buddy Bell, uh, Don Mattingly, Scott Service. Um, big influences on what I've done and my career. <laughs>
5: Hey, you've worked with, uh, with a lot of guys who have taken big steps forward, and you have always been great about being like, hey, Ty France was always great. Gino Suarez was always great. But um, when you have guys come in, I mean, what kind of work do you do with them to help them kind of sharpen up?
3: Uh, well, really, uh, it's, the example I use is uh, we'll take like the skyline of Seattle. Mm-hmm. There's all different kinds of shapes, all certain sizes of buildings. You know, a lot of windows, no windows. Uh, so, you know, all, all the guys are different in some capacity, just like a skyline is. But all those skylines, no matter what their shape, size, or how they're built, they all have one thing in common, and that's a strong foundation. So I break things down uh, to a system I've used for years, mm-hmm. uh, the 6S. And I, uh, I think it's important to build that foundation, let them be themselves, And if something starts to go wrong, you have somewhere to go to fix it immediately. You know, the guys that just kind of wing things and they don't have a set program and and how they do this and how they do that, when they get into a fielding uh, funk or a throwing funk, it's hard to get out of because you have nothing to refer to. So I think it's it's, uh, very important that we build the foundation and then go from there.
4: Coach, I look at J.P., and I might be wrong, but he looks stronger. He looks like he put on a few LBs, good LBs at that, and um, looks like he's he's prepared a bit differently for the season. I know we hear about his bad and what he did at driveline. Have you seen any changes um, in his defensive play?
3: No, I've always liked J.P. I mean, he's a, he's a starting shortstop on a pennant contending team. That's the way I look at him. Uh, he's won a gold glove. And uh, he's his mechanics are really, really good. I don't really worry a whole lot about JP. I just make sure that uh, that foundation we talk about, we built that in 2019. He stayed with the program, and I just make sure that. Uh, you know, I'm like, a, I'm like a tour guide. The guys are taking the tour. If they get off the path, it's my job to get them back on the path. <laughs> and so, so JP is uh, one of those guys. Very seldom do I have to, like, push him back on the path. He's, he's pretty well set in his, uh, the way he does things and how he does them.
5: What is pushing someone back on the path? In terms of, like, what are some either drills, uh, things that you find that the infielders just, in general, kind of hate doing? Like, it's just a chore.
3: To be, you want me to be honest? Yeah. None.
5: <laughs> what? None.
3: We all have a set schedule that they have to be here and do a set of drills before they stretch. And after stretch, we do a ground ball routine every day before uh-huh. batting practice. And they're all on time. They're all here. They're all ready to work. Um, yeah, I, you know, the, the thing about major league players, they want to know four things. Mm. What you're going to do, why you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, and when you're going to do it. And so the first day of spring training, I let them know the answers to those four questions. So there's no question when they walk in the door every day, they know what they're going to do, mm. why they're going to do it, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it, where they're going to do it. And so that just uh, you know alleviates, uh, alleviates a lot of problems.
4: Coach, you've had a few stops in your career with the, the Rangers, Tigers, Expos, Marlins, Pirates. Um, what makes Seattle different from those places And obviously you are a 2003 world champion. Do you see some similarities in that team and that organization? Um, Do you see some similarities with this team than you do with the 2003 team that you won a World Series with?
3: Well, talented players help a lot. That's one thing. And and the other thing, though, that's really different than uh, some other places I've been here in Seattle is that there's no petty jealousies here. Everybody's pulling for everybody. Uh, whether it be from the very top with John Stanton and Jerry, all the way down to everybody here in the clubhouse, uh, there's uh, everybody's got the same goal, and we sit and talk. This is the most the most uh, organization communicates the most that I've ever been around. Mm. You know, there's there's uh, from top to bottom. I mean, Jerry and Justin come down; they communicate. Uh, Scott's always communicating with the coaches. Uh, So there's, there's never, um, never any lack of uh, not knowing what's going on and why it's going on. And I mean, this is just a great situation. I would imagine that anybody who had the opportunity here, the coach here would want to stay here. Hey, me included.
5: Yeah. (laughs) speaking of of coaches loving it there and speaking of scott service uh he's been either a runner up or a second runner up for manager of the year a couple times now has yet to come away with the award though i think most people in seattle and i'm sure a lot of you guys would be like he absolutely deserves it um what are ways that you've seen him what's one way you've seen him really evolve as a manager where you look at him now and think oh god he's so good at this
3: well, he was here a long time before I got here. Right. But, but what, I've no, what I've noticed is that he lets the players be themselves. You know, he there's a, it's a saying that we have is, is that "be yourself, align with us." And so, uh, Scott lets the guys that have personalities. He lets those personalities come out. He doesn't mind. He wants people to be themselves, but he also has that that uh, great trait of communicating and letting guys, when they need to do something they're not doing, or praise them when they do it correctly. And, um, you know, you, you get a lot of people in, in his situation, his position, that only comment on the critical things. And Scott's not like that. You know, he's he, the way I like to describe it, he's firm, but he's fair. He's very fair.
4: Coach, you've seen a lot of he baseball.
3: He, he should, he, excuse me, he should have won both years, by the way. <laughs>
4: Yeah. Yeah, we agree. We're with you there for sure, Coach. You've seen a lot of baseball in your day. How has the game changed for the better? What have you seen?
3: Uh, Well, I really like this pitch clock thing. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know how I'd really feel about it, but I I like it. It keeps the game moving, and for my guys, the infielders, it keeps them in the game. You know, sometimes there's so much downtime that you know they would kind of they wouldn't lose focus, but they they wouldn't be in a, in a perfect ready position before the pitch all the time. Here, the game moves so fast, you know, you've, you've got to be on your toes and and, and ready, and, and there's no downtime. So in that regard, I really like the pitch clock. Uh,
5: what did you make of uh, the changes with pickoff attempts and with the larger bases?
3: I haven't seen any effect of the larger bases. Yeah. You know, I was kind of... Toying with things during spring training, how we're going to hold a runner on with the extra three inches. We'll have to lean back and try to tag or, mm-hmm. or how we're going to straddle a bigger base, you know, on a, a steal attempt at second or third. But really haven't had any issues with that at all. How, so
4: has, it be, how yeah. has it been watching um, Jared Kellnick this year? You know, the young man was brought up and sent down a couple of times. Um, he's in his zone right now. Went zero for last night, but that's ball, right? That's going to happen. Um, how has it been just watching the development of him and how he's handled his trials and tribulations?
3: Well, he's always destined for greatness. I thought I thought he was going to be a really good player on a on a pennant contending team, and and he is. Um, I think uh, Kel's issues in the past where he would be too hard on himself. You know, you're not going to get a hit every time up. You're not going to get a 15-game hitting streak all the time. And just to learn to deal with that and and play your defense and come back in and and, uh, be ready to hit. Separate the offense and the defense and uh, be ready ready to hit. Forget the last at bat. You can't change that and go from there. And I think he's uh, really done a nice job of that.
5: Colton Wong, uh, kind of struggling to get going offensively, but we interviewed him prior to the season, and he was such a great interview. And I still find myself kind of rooting for him, you know, even though he, he just has yet to really get going. But you know him well, right? Uh, tell us a bit about Colton, whether it be a first impression or, or just kind of who he is as a person.
3: Well, I've always liked Colton from the other dugout. Yeah, you know, we, I think we, when I was with the Marlins, we we tried to get him there, and of course. Uh, here we tried to get him a few years ago and just didn't work out. But we we finally got him, and he's a, he's a great guy, hard worker. You know he has won a couple of gold gloves and kind of had a down defensive year last year and had some kind of some footwork issues. And um, you know he asked uh, for me to go down the spring training early. He didn't want to wait till the official date. He wanted to get things started, get things ironed out. So when spring training the games actually played, he was where he needed to be and i thought that was uh, you know you don't you don't hear about stars doing that quite very often and uh, that impressed me from the get go but he's been a great student he's listened he's done everything we've asked and i wouldn't be too worried about Colton Wong in the
0: long run make sure you're downloading the dugout the very full hour of it you can download anywhere you get your podcast and also at seattlesports.com now it's not too often we venture outside of the Confines of T-Mobile Park here on extra innings, but there is a massive story in Major League Baseball today involving the Oakland A's, and it looks like they could be headed towards Las Vegas in the near future. Relocation, Major League Baseball—you hate to see it, but we will talk that next because here in Seattle, I think we're very intimately familiar with franchise relocations. We will discuss all that next. Take a listen to what Wyman and Bob had to say about that very topic earlier on Seattle sports. Don't go anywhere more to come here on the Mariners radio network. You're listening to extra innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle sports 15 minutes from now. We take a look at some of the biggest stories in baseball with a round of pepper. That's how we wrap up every single edition of extra innings, but the biggest story in baseball, I think, deserves its own segment tonight on Extra Innings, and it's not often that we venture outside of Seattle for this show, at least before we look at some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball, but this one will have a huge impact on how things are are ran in the American League West going forward. If you missed it last night, late into the night, it was odd the timing of this news breaking because... So often, it, you know, stories happen throughout the day, the the middle part of the day, but this broke pretty late at night that the city of Las Vegas and the Oakland A's had reached an agreement on a one billion dollar land purchase uh, just off the Strip in Las Vegas, kind of near where the Raiders play. And obviously the A's have been in battle with the city of Oakland for a number of years. It feels like it's been probably at least 15 to 20 years that they have been buttonheads with the city of Oakland trying to get a stadium. Well, actually, I don't know if the A's were so much trying to get a stadium built in Oakland, but it, uh, the city of Oakland definitely trying to get a, a new stadium built there. Uh, but now with this purchase, it is almost a foregone conclusion that the A's are headed to Vegas at some point in the future. Now, obviously, this will impact the Mariners' travel because Las Vegas is decidedly not Oakland, and Las Vegas is a market that has never had a professional baseball team. They've had success with the Golden Knights in the NHL. They've had success uh, with the Raiders early on here in their uh, infancy in Vegas. They have a WNBA franchise, the Las Vegas Aces, who were WNBA champions recently. Uh, so there's on on field on ice on on court success so far in that city but it's interesting that baseball is is venturing towards vegas or it looks like this could be happening uh very shortly because as we know baseball has a a very checkered past when it comes to gambling the Pete Rose situation uh i imagine Pete Rose seeing a team going to las vegas he's probably like and really i i can't get uh i can't you know, get reinstated in baseball. Uh, that that's a whole other conversation. But Las Vegas is such an unproven market when it comes to baseball. Obviously, people will come to Vegas. It's a tourist destination for those who don't even have an interest in sports. But how will the A's work in Las Vegas going forward? And and really, you know, will this change how they're operated? Will this change how they you know spend their money in the off season? Because as we know, they are one of the most fiscally conservative teams in all of Major League Baseball, maybe the most. They're kind of the, the you know, they're the picture of penny pinching when it comes to Major League Baseball. So will this change how they operate? Well, Wyman and Bob dove into this conversation earlier today on Seattle Sports, so let's take a listen as to what they had to say.
1: There's a bit of a shake-up going on in the, in the AL West, where the Mariners reside, and this is the, about the least surprising thing ever, because we've We've talked for years and years and years about what an absolute pit the Coliseum is out there in Oakland. You played out there as a football player. The A's have been out there since before I was born. They were before a lot of our listeners were born, and it feels like the stadium's in the same condition it was the day they moved in. You've been to that that I haven't, park. Right? Oh really? I've yeah. not. I've I've only yeah. seen it and heard first hand accounts from many, many, many people. Much like Daniel Snyder. Nobody on the other side going, Yeah, it's being a little over exaggerated. It is pretty cool. No. I have not <laughs> no, I've not had a one dissenting all. voice.
6: No, it's uh, it's it's really that's where I played my very last NFL game in front of that's those lovely, lovely
1: people. That's a yeah, shame. Yeah. Don't you wish you could have gone out at you know, a mile high stadium or you know, yeah. some you know, I don't know, some some place that's got some history and some some uh, majesty to it, instead it's that.
6: Yeah, it was like it was kind of like my career. It was very fitting that it ended like <laughs> basically my career ended at the dump
1: <laughs> you know? with sewer problems and.
6: Oh, I was yeah. out there as a broadcaster in what 2018, I think. Well, we went down there, you know, whenever in the preseason we would we would go down, and I think it was like four or five years ago, it was the exact same carpet and everything from the the time that I played. You know, it was like indoor, outdoor carpet everywhere. All of the, you know, like all the lockers are, they're not painted the same color, you know? When you go up into the the booth up for the media stuff, it's kind of like... I've been on a battleship before, you know, just like a tour where it has, like, those raised – like, you have to step over the threshold. Yeah, to get
1: into the next room
6: or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just just awful there. So – and then, you know, but I I would say this. They're going to where they might have the most beautiful ballpark – Anywhere, because that's what they do in Vegas. That you know, I went down to that. What is it, a Alliant or Allegiance? Allegiance Stadium. Allegiance Stadium. And other than not being able to find the damn press box, and nobody could give me uh, directions, I was like. It was a really – it's a really well-done, beautiful place. And then you're in Vegas, and, you know, they got like Wayne Newton up, you know, saying something about Go Raiders. They get all these performers through there. So I guess for the A's, basically, you're going from the the very worst to uh, to what could possibly be – I mean, the A's, it's like an old high school, basically, uh, an old high school locker room, everything about it, to now, you know, you're just off – I guess the land is like it's fifty acres, like right off the strip.
1: yeah, well, that that's why we're bringing this up is the A's have signed a binding agreement to purchase land near the Las Vegas Strip, and they intend to construct a major league ballpark there that, according to their team president, the agreement is for a forty nine acre site owned by Red Rock Resorts, which is the parent company of station casinos. Yeah. Um, they said they're gonna it's a one point five billion thirty five thousand seat stadium. With a partially retractable roof that would be built on site. uh, Adding, you know, that other developments like restaurants and an amphitheater are being discussed. Actually, 35,000, that's not a big stadium in terms of capacity. Because I think, I'm pretty sure T Mobile is what, 47?
6: Yeah, I I thought it was in the mid 40s somewhere. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, I mean, that's not a, in terms of capacity, that's not a huge place, but they're, they they purchase that, and it's I guess like it's a mile and a half from wherever um, Allegiant Stadium is out there. Mm-hmm. So you know the and the you know the uh, the mayor of Oakland is very upset about this whole thing. Uh, saying, I'm deeply disappointed the A's have chosen not to negotiate with the city of Oakland as a true partner in a way that respects the long relationship between the fans and city and the team. Yet it's clear to me the A's have no intention of staying in Oakland have simply been using this process to try to extract a better deal out of Las Vegas. I'm not interested in continuing to play that game. Uh, the fans and our residents deserve better. So as far as why it didn't work in Oakland, I don't know whose fault that is, but... It's been going on forever. Nobody shows up to their games. That place looks bad on TV. TV can dress up anything. You know, they can, right. you know, use angles and things to make it look more full than it is or look better than it is. You look there when you watch an A's game there, the, the outfield looks like it's dark. Like I always want to ask the outfielders, is it hard to pick up the ball yeah. out there? Because it seems like it's, Terrible. it's decidedly darker in the outfield than it is in the infield. And it's the lighting strain. It just seems like a depressing dank, empty place, which yeah. kind of fits the team that they've, they've got a three-win team out there right now. I mean, it's just everything about it is bad, and I feel bad for the hardcore A's fans that, that make the trek out to that stadium, but this has got to be the least surprising story ever
6: yeah that's where we differ bob i do not feel sorry for their fans there <laughs> uh because every time we watch a game there has to be there's a guy with a whistle and there's a guy banging a drum yeah and it just yeah. c- constantly and then somebody's got like a a tambourine or something uh yeah it's just but yeah you're right i mean i there's probably people that have been going to games there for their whole lives and you know um it's it's kind of a shame for them but there's just like you said there's just not that many people out there i mean one thing i th- i feel like the raiders you know they had a a better following i think it was a little tougher for their fans that you know to to see them leave but um by the way you were saying uh yeah th- the opening day against Cleveland, the Mariners forty five thousand two hundred and sixty eight, okay. and then opening day for Cleveland is they're at thirty. I think they were a sellout thirty four thousand. So it'd be about like Cleveland's stadium there as mm. far as capacity goes. So, but I'm sure everything's just going to be tricked out, and it's going to be much much nicer. Just think, I mean, look the players. I mean, they're they're. Having to go into that same building every day, I mean, how happy would you be? I don't know. Maybe there's people that are entrenched there in Oakland. I'd be surprised. But, you know, Vegas is like one of those destinations now where everybody's buying houses there. I have a friend that's moving, a uh, Microsoft family, and they're like, yeah, we're going to retire down in Vegas. I mean, it's starting yeah, to become... one well, nice weather. Yeah. one of, But, you know, in the summertime... It's it well, gets really hot. Yeah, it's you like don't get the in Phoenix. Yeah, you don't get the seasons and everything like that. But uh, just to, you know, this this whole project's going to be right off the Vegas Strip. Like I said, I think it's going to be it'll be a, a cool place, and I'm sure they'll do it up right.
1: Well, hopefully <clears throat> hopefully their owner will feel compelled to increase their payroll above the 40 millions. Maybe an inch into the 50 million, 60 million dollar range. If he gets a 1.5 billion dollar stadium, he better put a representative product on the field. That would be if I were an A's fan, I would be demanding that. I mean, that's that's you know, also part of the problem. You remember Moneyball? Is,
6: if you were there oh, asking yeah. him, Bob, he would say, "What else you got?"
1: Yep. Yeah. That
6: said, Come on, I can't leave here with, without some money. He's like, what else you
1: got? Yeah, yeah. they, they, they need to uh, definitely change their approach if this is what's happening.
0: One segment to go here on this Thursday evening. Really appreciate you tuning in. When we return, it's a round of pepper. Some of the biggest headlines in Major League Baseball from this week. We talk about those coming up next. Curtis Rogers with you on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to extra innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle sports. Welcome back into extra innings. Curtis Rogers with you for one final segment. Really appreciate you making this a part of your Thursday evening. Download every hour of every edition of extra innings on the Seattle sports app and also at seattlesports.com. But Let's take a look around some of the biggest stories in baseball. We begin in New York, and yesterday, Max Scherzer ejected for having illegal substances on his hands during a game. Now, what's so notable about this is that he easily becomes the biggest name ever ejected for this, and he gets an automatic 10-game suspension. Here is what Scherzer had to say post-game yesterday about his ejection. What did Phil
2: say after you clearly explained that to him on the field?
1: He said, my hand's too sti- sticky. And I said, I swear on my kid's life, I'm not using anything else. This is sweat and rosin. Sweat and rosin. I keep saying it over and over. And they touch my hand, they say it's sticky. And i like, yes, it is, because it's sweat and rosin. And they say it's too sticky. It's not, And it, 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 they threw me out because of that.
0: Obviously a very vehement denial from Max Scherzer. Now, an interesting part in that question is when the reporter asked, what did Phil say? Phil being home plate umpire Phil Cuzzy. Now get this, of the other two ejections in Major League Baseball since the the emphasis on the rules back in 2021, the other two, obviously we know Hector Santiago here in Seattle. That was a a big talking point for a couple weeks uh, following his suspension for the illegal substance. And then Caleb Smith, another pitcher uh, who got popped for it uh, in that 2021 season, The home plate umpire on all three occasions is Phil Cozzi. Interesting. Hmm. I wonder if that's just merely a coincidence or if that is an umpire that is just trying to lay down the law maybe a little too hard. Because if he's the only umpire so far that has suspended anybody for this or has ejected anybody for this, I wonder if it's as big of an issue as it's being made to be now. There are clearly guys that doctor up the ball out there. James Karantak of, of the Cleveland Guardians, probably chief among them. Uh, he can't really do as much as he can now because of the pitch clock, but you know, John Means was another one. Remember his no-hitter against the Mariners? That dude was doctoring the ball up every every pitch in his glove, just going to town on that. But look, Phil Cousy, I think he, he likes to be – the ump show. He, I think he thinks that people pay to to see him perform and not Max Scherzer, who is in attendance, obviously. And uh, you know, I, I can't fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Well, can't get fooled again. That was a uh, former president of ours who said that. Also in Major League Baseball. Madison Bumgarner has been designated for assignment by the Arizona Diamondbacks. They will eat the remaining $34 million owed to him. He signed a five-year deal back in 2019 with the D-backs. And at the time, it didn't even look like that was smart money. That was a smart decision by the Diamondbacks. And, well, sure enough, uh, it did not pan out well at all for either side. Uh, Bumgarner becoming notorious for yelling at batters, uh, guys who... Uh, maybe he thinks are, are celebrating a little too much or, or maybe guys that just aren't getting in the box. Uh, yesterday was Bumgarner's final start with Arizona, and he got into it with Cardinals catcher Wilson Contreras, who grunted a little too loudly. Yes, that is that was the issue that Bumgarner had with him. They exchanged words. Uh, the catcher had to get in between Bumgarner and Contreras uh, to make cooler heads prevail. It was an odd sight in St. Louis yesterday between the Diamondbacks and the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, obviously, when a person of that caliber of name in baseball gets released, everybody kind of is like, "Well, you know, could he be an option for for my favorite team?" Let me just say that I do not want the Mariners to go anywhere near Madison Bumgarner because, look, they're bound to get Robbie Ray back at some point in the month of May. I would, I would presume which at that point your rotation is what you expected it to be all along. You don't need any other starting pitcher like Madison Bumgarner, who I don't think is going to take very well to maybe toiling in the minors here in Seattle. He's, he's a guy that probably wants a, a starting rotation spot somewhere else. Maybe he gets it with a team that is desperate for starting pitching. Uh, now, you can never have enough starting pitching depth, but again, I don't think he's going to be a very cooperative in taking a bullpen role or something like that. Bumgarner, uh, a very prickly guy. He's not somebody that's going to just sit back and uh, sit back and just kind of, you know, take a back seat here. Now, is he a Hall of Famer? I don't think he is. He is certainly one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time, maybe the greatest postseason pitcher of all time, if you look at his numbers, Uh, which is hard to believe because, you know, he's He's only 33 years old. It feels like he's about 40 years old, uh, but man, those years that he had with San Francisco winning the three World Series titles, uh, he was just flat-out dominant for them uh, prior to leaving for Arizona, and I, I do wonder if his postseason numbers are good enough to get him in, but again, his regular season numbers, only 134 and 124, a 519 win percentage, uh, has just over 2,000 strikeouts. Certainly one of the best lefties of his era, but he had a very short, short window. Uh, tw- age 29 was probably his best or his last best season. Uh, in his 30s, he has really seen his production drop off uh, in a big way with the Diamondbacks. Uh, the best record he had in a season with them, the most wins he had in a season with them, was seven. Uh, I don't think he is a Hall of Fame-worthy pitcher, but again... One of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. Let's take a look at his postseason numbers. Yeah, 8-3 and three with a 2-1-1 ERA and 102 innings pitched. Uh, in the World Series specifically, maybe the greatest World Series pitcher of all time, 36 innings pitched, a .25 ERA. A .25 ERA in 36 innings pitched in the World Series, 4-0. He had a complete game shutout. Uh, he was... He, he was automatic in the World Series, but I don't I don't think he's ever going to get back to that stage in his career. Also in Major League Baseball, guess who's back in baseball after injuries and a 80-game PED suspension? The Padres star Fernando Tatis Jr. tonight is his first game back in San Diego's lineup. You've got a lineup that features him, Manny Machado, Xander Bogart, Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz. I mean, there are names on names on names in that Padres lineup. It feels like this San Diego team has maybe the big, the biggest boomer bust potential of any team uh, in Major League Baseball. I, I think they are going to get it right, and you know they're nine and eleven this season. They play the aforementioned Diamondbacks tonight in a four game series that begins uh, in Arizona, and then they go to Chicago and play the Cubs. Look, Fernando Tatis Jr. one of the most scrutinized baseball players that I can ever remember. But look at his numbers in Triple A. At one point he was 10 of 11 on his rehab assignments with six home runs. That's stupid. That's stupid good. Uh, the fact that he was able to put up those kinds of numbers in A tells me he's probably not going to have a, a, a long reacclimation to the big leagues. Now, one guy who you gotta be concerned with in that San Diego lineup is Juan Soto, only hitting a buck ninety four, three seventy two on base percentage, still has a seven ninety OPS, but I mean that's not who you give up, you know, six prospects for. That's not who you fork over a, a five hundred million dollar extension to, uh, really kind of tanking his value here twenty games into the season, also how he ended last year. And then finally, the best news of the day in the baseball world. This comes to us from Chicago White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. Incredible news. Uh, he announced today that his cancer is in remission. In January, Hendricks was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He finished his chemotherapy treatments back on April 5th. Uh, just great to see him smiling. Great to see him uh, past this for now, and, and you just hope and pray that This continues, and he's able to live a healthy, normal life after all this. No official timetable on his return to the mound, but the White Sox were optimistic about a return this season as they've not placed him on the 60-day IL at any point this season. So uh, congrats to Liam Hendricks and his family. Uh, I know Liam is somebody who Ryan Rollinsmith has done podcasts with before, Um, so just great to see Liam Hendricks healthy, and hopefully we can see him back on a mound this season because... He is one of the game's very best relievers when he's out there. And uh, just so, so incredibly thrilled for him and, and for the White Sox and for baseball fans everywhere that uh, he is he's back. He's going to be back, hopefully, sometime soon at a ballpark near you. That is going to do it for us here on Extra Innings this evening. Really appreciate you stopping by once again. Mariners take on the St. Louis Cardinals tomorrow, beginning a three-game series from T-Mobile Park. That's going to do it for us tonight. This has been another edition of Mariners Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports and the Mariners Radio Network.